Come celebrate 40 years of Unix at the Ohio Linux Fest from September 25th through the 27th. If you use GNU, Linux, BSD, OpenSolaris, or any Unix or Unix-like system, you belong at Ohio Linux Fest. Register free today at ohiolinux.org. back to Linux in the Ham Shack, everybody. I'm glad y'all took the time to download us once again. Uh, I understand we're getting kind of popular out there, at least that's what they tell us. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and uh, I am one of the presenters of this, ex- this Feast for the Senses, this extravaganza for the auditory cortex. And helping me out with this over in the in Arkansas would be Russ, K5TUX. Say hello, Russ. Hello, everybody. It's uh, actually raining in the pine forest in Arkansas this evening. I think this may be the first time it's been raining on a podcast evening. So it's kind of a subtle, moody evening, but it should turn out all right. So how's it doing down in Dallas? Still hot? Still summer-like? Actually, it hasn't stopped raining down here since Thursday. It has rained continuously except for a five-minute break when I was able to go feed the dog about three days ago. You haven't fed it since? Well, she eats. She eats. Okay. i got to keep her plump. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes, this has, this has reminded me, it's been so cool and wet around here, that if this is global warming, bring it on, buddy. I find it interesting that Al Gore, uh, who won a Nobel Prize for all his work on global warming, is now selling carbon credits. But that's okay. This is Linux in the Ham Shack, and uh, I just want to tell all of y'all that Russ and I are the pen and teller of amateur radio podcasting. He is teller, and he is the one that is knowledgeable, knows everything, is technically proficient, and say it says very little. And I, on the other hand, am Penn Gillette, the noisy one that keeps you distracted so you don't see what Russ is doing. What do you think about that, Russ? I'd say you hit the nail on the head. That's right. As long as it didn't hit the thumbnail, we're in good shape. All righty. We'd like to welcome everybody in the chat room. Uh, got a pretty good house in there this evening. Uh, a lot of the regulars, a lot of the regulars. We got Bill and Ted and Paul and Cheryl and got one there that apparently lost their connection. We got him fixed. It's been a slow week for email, y'all. So, uh, why don't we go ahead and move on to some of that? Uh, would you like to start, my sir, or would you like me to start? 
well, I can do the one I have. That'll get it out of the way, and then you can run your good old pendulette head. All I need is to be just a little bit more abrasive. Unfortunately, it's like I said on the other show, we really don't want Richard running loose without the explicit tag hanging over his head. Go ahead, Russ. Actually, uh, that makes you a pen head, right? That's it. <laughs> All right, this one I got from Doug, N6LMX. And it's more of a comment than anything else, but I'll go ahead and read it here. It says, I recently acquired an old Dell Inspiron 3500 notebook and decided that it would work well for Linux. Based on the luck that you had with Linux Mint, I decided to try that first. For some reason, I'm getting it was a combination of processor and memory. It stalled before it really had a chance to get started. I then tried Ubuntu 9.04 and had the same results. I finally had luck with Zubuntu 9.04, and it's running like a charm, save for the touchpad acting as a mouse button. Well, I sort of consider that default behavior and desirable behavior, but if you don't like it working as a button, then I believe there is a way to turn that off. I have such a heavy touch on it, which leads to clicking happening where I don't want it to happen. I have yet to get it on the Internet, but that's a matter of not being lazy and pulling the PCMCA card out of my old ThinkPad, which is more dead. I'm just getting started exploring Linux again, and I'm talking. I'm taking it a bit slow. Thanks to you and Richard for a great podcast. I'll keep listening. Well, that's good. He's not going to turn us off. I'm happy. Me too. Anyway, yeah. that's uh, Doug N6LMX. And thanks for the comment, and thanks for enjoying the podcast. We're always happy to bring it to you. This is episode number 22, although it's actually the 24th one that's come out so far. It looks like when we started out wondering if we were going to have 25 episodes, now I'm wondering if we're going to be able to stop at 200 episodes, which we probably won't, or at least I hope not. But anyway, thanks for the email, and Richard's obviously itching to comment, so go ahead. Well, no, you keep saying stuff I want to pop off about because, you know, everybody knows I'm a smart ass. And I'm trying to cut you off. And that and that word won't make the cut. Y'all watch. When we get to 100 episodes, we're going to rename the show uh, the Linux and the Ham Shack Action Show. Yeah. You know, I, I thought of a perfect name for the show um, about 17 episodes in. And, of course, we couldn't change it then. And now I've forgotten what it was, so it doesn't really matter. Well, for anybody who's ever wondered, since y'all are a captive audience at the moment, one of the thing, one of the reasons the show has the name it's named is when we were discussing putting the thing together. I asked Russ if we could call it this in uh, in honor of Marlon Dunn, who uh, wrote a book called Linux on the Desktop and had a podcast for a while. And Marlon has uh, sometime back had to uh, quit doing his podcast because he became fi- financially unable because he is a disabled individual and uh, ran out of cash. So uh, there you go, and that's why the show is named what the show is. Now, as far as that laptop, please keep us posted. I've got one over here. I am having fits out of. It's about ten. It's a ten-year-old Dell Latitude. It's so old. Uh, support can't even remember what the uh, password is to unlock the BIOS. That old. Please keep in touch with us and uh, let us know how that comes out. So, you ain't got nothing else for us? No, but I've had a laptop with that problem with the BIOS, and it seems like in laptops they never bother to put in that little jumper that you could jumper and 
erase your BIOS settings so you can just get in, something they seem to forget on laptops. Of course, you have to go through an act of Congress to get into a laptop anymore. So, uh, well, good luck with yours. And, uh, Doug, good luck with your laptop, and let us know how it comes out. Let me tell you, I might, have, might just have to readjust it with a hammer. But okay, so Russ is out of, out of ammunition nowhere. I don't have much more. You guys have been kind of falling down on the feedback thing, so uh, y'all need to step it up. However, what I do have here is an email from uh, from Joe, NE3R, who happens not to be with us tonight. NE3R, Joe, sent, it to, sent, me, sent us an email. I finally got around to it, he says. The volume in the uh, original recording, it was kind of low. By my vol, vol fix version, just doesn't sound as good. Anyway, feel free to edit for sound quality. Let me know if or when you plan to use this. I will withhold my blog post and YouTube video release until the live episode date. 73 from Joe, NE3R. And what Joe's talking about is he sent us a, an audio clip having to do with Minicom. And uh, we've talked about Minicom once or twice, especially when we were discussing packet and that kind of stuff. And uh, at some point, we'll get it inserted into show. I think I sent Russ a copy, but I'm not sure. You did actually send me a copy. And you know what? Uh, I have not had a chance to listen to it. I do plan on listening to it, and I know it's only a five- or a six-minute segment, so I don't see any problems getting it into the show. We may even try and throw it in here somewhere uh, if we run out of things to talk about. But if we don't, then, you know, a few more episodes down the road, we'll get it in there. But always nice to have contributed content. Well, there you go. And, yes, he did send two copies. One is uh, kind of light on audio. The the other copy, he uh, bumped audio up. And sounds pretty good to me over here, at least when I run it through the mixer panel because that's where my headphones are plugged in. Uh, once again, thanks, you, Joe. thanks, Joe. He's got all his information tacked on in. And I can't remember what his blog is right now, but we'll get it figured out. Okay, and last but not least uh, on the uh, feedback end of things, the next one is a Google alert that came through to me from uh, John's blog. That's the name of it, y'all, John's blog. And uh, it's a little posting about us. It's another one of those things we always like to see. You guys get out there and talk about us because we really like it. The pertinent bits are... Let's see. Recently, I've started using an iPod, the iPod functionality on my iPhone. They're listening to us on iPhones, Russ. I don't know why I never figured it out before. But it plays the audio out through the car stereo over the Bluetooth connection. I've been using this newly found functionality to catch up on, you guessed it, Linux and the Ham Shack, which I also only discovered recently. I have to say, I do like the format Russ and Richard uh, have adopted, and though I've been in the hobby for a good few years and using Linux even longer, I'm both enjoying it and learning from it. If you're a, a ham and looking for an alternative to Windows, head on over to the website and check it out. Cheers, guys. And, uh, John, thank you very much. Uh, I wish I had been able to locate more information. You send us an email and let you know, let us know who you are. We'll embarrass you on the show just like everybody else. So what do you think about that one, Russ? Well, thanks very much, John, for sending that in. And I happen to listen to the show on an iPhone as well. 
or an iPod Touch, either one. They're both the same thing, I guess. And uh, I've been working on getting uh, AUG formats into iTunes, and I can't get it to play on the iPhone yet. And um, That's because there is no support for AUG on the iPhone. You know how that goes. But at least I can play them in iTunes, and I can convert them to MP3s to listen to the regular uh, MP3 uh, podcast feed, and that's how I listen to them in my vehicle. And the Bluetooth thing is pretty cool. Anyway, thanks, John, for that. We look forward to keeping you as a listener. Well, I ain't got no Bluetooth. In fact, uh, the only headphone I got from my telephone is one of those ancient single-wire plug-it-in-ear kind of things. Looks like the uh, earphones we used to use when I was a kid kind of thingy. But anyway, Joe, thank you. John. John, thank you. We got Johns and Joes and everything else. All righty. So that's the extent of the feedback this time. Well, do we want to address... uh, We have a question in the chat room from Paul over at Teen Radio Journey, and he asks, I'm trying to connect to my shared printer on my Windows laptop with a Linux desktop, and every time I try to connect, the printer configuration just shuts down. Do you guys think I should plug the printer into the Linux desktop and set it up as a Samba printer or do something else? So I wouldn't necessarily decide to run my printer on Linux just because it's Linux. Printers work pretty well under Windows usually, and the reason for that is drivers tend to be written for Windows as opposed to Linux. If you can find a PPD file, a PostScript configuration file for the particular printer you're using, you might want to set it up under Linux because that makes it the easiest. If your server, I'm sorry, if your Linux machine is running CUPS, what you can do is go to localhost colon 631 in your browser, and that's where you'll find the CUPS configuration. And usually you can auto-detect a printer connected to Windows as long as you're sharing it. And it will pretty much set it up for you the way it needs to be set up. The only thing you'll have to provide it is the driver. And as long as you have a driver that works with that particular printer, it should work. If it's like a standard PCL printer or a standard PostScript printer, or Linux happens to have a good driver in the Fumatic libraries for it, that'll all show up under cups, and you should get it to work um, just by simple auto configuration. So try going to localhost colon 631 on your local machine. Try that out. See if you can configure via cups. And if that doesn't work for you, give us an email back and I will do a little more research and we can come up with a better explanation for some way to do this. But you don't necessarily have to connect that to Linux to get it to work. I use Linux machines to connect to Windows printers all the time. Usually have no problem whatsoever. Yeah, the only problem I've had is, uh, once again, using cups. Some of the, uh, a lot of printers aren't supported in cups. But uh, in the case here, the printer in the den is supported by cups. I can hook into it from the Linux machines back here. So I guess that technically makes uh, Brenda's computer the printer server. You probably need to use a little more, do a little more research. But if you're able to get it to come up and go, then... uh, Sounds to me like you might only have to change a couple things to to get it happening for you. So uh, we got the question from Ball taken care of. Russ was talking about the K7OHH and missed out on that. However, he's busy typing in the chat room. So 
Type, type, Let type, me... chat, chat, chat. Yep. That's right. Multitasking. Yeah, but you don't have a genuine authorized Linux Outlaw keyboard like I have. Do you have one of those old uh, AT&T 6300 chiclet keyboards over there somewhere? No, this is, uh, what the hell is this? It says Microsoft on it. Oh, that used to be my favorite keyboard. It was harder as harder than hell on your fingers, but, man, you could type fast on them. You know, I think I'm still trying to get used to keyboards instead of typewriters. <laughs> so what decade are you from? Or, sorry, what millennia are you from? <laughs> yeah, I actually took typing on manual typewriters in high school. Oh, yeah, so did I. And then we switched over to the the IBM Selectric. No, we never had those. I guess they didn't want to give us anything that was light enough to hit the teacher with. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we've completely lost our minds and gone way off subject for the the time being. Also, there's been some big happenings going on around here. Uh, Just want to let y'all... be caught up and be aware of what's going on. You know, uh, I know a bunch of you aren't able to get over to the website very often, and we have to let y'all know via Twitter and stuff that a show's going on. Uh, Russ, why don't you tell them, uh, take a few minutes and tell them about the new streaming audio stuff over at the website. Well, that's a good thing to bring up because I've actually just changed the way that works today. I gave a URL, I think, in the last episode on where you can find that feed. And then I decided that rather than using my own machine's URL for the feed, that I would actually associate it with Linux in the Handshack. Made sense to me, since that's what the audio is. So what I did was I got a new URL for the feed. And what you can do is go to stream.lhsinfo.org at port 8008. And you can see the feeds there, and you can click on the links to start them up. And if you are too lazy to do that, then you can just go to lhsinfo.org, go to the front page, and in the right-hand column, there's links to the streaming audio. And the first stream is old episodes, including unedited versions of Linux in the Hamshack, all the way from episode one to the present in pretty much random order, so you never know what you're going to hear when you fire up that audio, so go give it a try. And the other one is LHS Music. It's all the music from the podcast, all the music that I downloaded that hasn't yet or may never make it into the podcast, plus a few selections of my own. So it's a pretty good listen. So go ahead and check those out, and go ahead and send me feedback on the content there, and let me know if you like what you hear, don't like what you hear, want to hear something else. Etc. 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 And I'll see if I can't tailor the output of that stream or those streams to our audience a little bit better. See what's interesting people and what doesn't. Did you take Code Monkey out? No, Code Monkey should be in there somewhere. Everything oh, okay. in the feed, everything in the feed's Creative Commons. So if you want to, you know, record it from the stream or take the music out of the podcast or just use the show notes and go download from Magnatune or pod show or any of the other places that i've gotten the music from it's all creative commons so it's free to download and use as you wish well that's okay i just asked that question because i wanted to make one of the guys in the chat room sweat but that's okay (laughs) you know i'm evil and i'm an equal i'm equal opportunity evil in fact today uh, as of today i am darth hideous so uh we got the got the streaming audio going on and uh 
I'm I'm trying to pick Russ, Russ's brain on a different streaming audio pro, uh, situation, but once we get that figured out, we'll give y'all more information on that. Okay, have you got any anything else in the way of announcements, Russ? Well, the only thing I can think of is that you're going to be at the Dayton Hamvention that you may want to talk about more, and of course, I'll be at Ohio Linux Fest, which is September 25th, 26th, and I guess a little bit on September 27th in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, we've talked on that on previous episodes, so check out the previous episodes or the website on when that is, what's going on, and how to get there. And Richard's going to talk a little bit about Dayton, or not Dayton. Uh, Did I say Dayton? I did. Yes, you did. It's something like Dayton, though. What, Denton? I I will be in the Sudetenland, in the in the beautiful beautiful Rhine River Valley, along with all the Germans, some Romans, and some other folks. However, no. (laughs) And I'll be in the land of Canaan. And there you go. No, uh, what Russ is referring to is that uh, on October third at the uh, Beltonham Expo in Belton, Texas. That's just south of Temple, Texas. For those of you who aren't from Texas, or in fact, some of you who are, uh, I will be roaming around the uh, expo center down there, checking things out, seeing if I can't talk to some folks and dredge up maybe some audio. But I do know that I'm going to be hanging out with Jerry Taylor, KD Zero BIK from the Practical Amateur Radio Podcast. Uh, we're going to go down there and just blow everybody's mind. We're going to ask the people at AMSAT why they don't have a plate sat. We're going to ask them all kinds of wonderful stuff. So if you happen to be down in the uh, in the Waco, Temple, Belton area, come October 3rd, look around for me. I'll be the fat guy with the big mouth, and Jerry will be the, uh, the other guy standing next to him. No, it won't be Russ this time. However, Y'all come on down and see us, and uh, like I said, we're going to gather up some audio and meet some people and shake some hands. So that's the Belton Ham Fest at the Belton Expo Center in Belton, Texas. We might even get some of those Linux people down there. Linux people, come on down. Y'all need to check out Amateur Radio, and uh, at the very least, I'll get to shake your hand. I've got another thing I want to do. I want to go ahead and, uh, while we uh, have a few moments... Take a moment to welcome the newest member of the production team at Black Sparrow Media. You know, y'all know me and you know, uh, know Russ because y'all get to hear our melodic voices. Well, we have recently uh, added a new member to the production staff. Uh, he is primarily the producer in charge of uh, making sure that the show notes are squared away for the other show. Let us go ahead and uh, welcome Bill, KA9WKA, to the staff at Black Sparrow Media. Uh, take a bow in the chat in the chat room, Bill. I, I'll still be taking emails and stuff. Y'all let me know uh, what y'all are thinking about how Bill is doing, and I'll relay it on to him. Uh, one thing I forgot to do was get him an email address so y'all could send him some emails and stuff. All right, if we don't have anything else for us... I'll be thinking these folks probably want a musical interlude. All right, one interlude coming up. Day. 
some days happen as they all should Monday felt like Monday Tuesday rose like Phoenix From the ashes of what I had feared The ones in time To change our minds There's always something going on When it feels so good it can't be wrong from the break and i want to tell you that you are doggone lucky that russ picks the music for the show because i am constantly getting emails about people not liking the music on the other show of course there's twice as many that say they like it so uh i keep doing it and i pay the pay the bills over there so they ain't got a choice all right uh we had some leftover interview from uh episode here a while back and uh I've got some stuff that uh, we're going we're going to do at the end but uh we've decided that uh we're going to run this uh run this piece of information. Uh I believe it's when Bill was on the show, is that correct, Russ? That is correct. This is left over from the interview we did with Bill KA9WKA a few episodes back. And we got through the technical portion of the thing where we talked about 
uh, Linux Mint and Netbooks and all kinds of groovy stuff like that. But we had quite a bit left over when we started rambling on about amateur radio, and that is another topic that we tend to cover on this show from time to time. So we thought we'd use the middle segment of episode number 22 to get Bill back on the show before everybody forgot about the first part. And when we come back from this, we'll touch on another musical break. And then on the other side, Richard says... We're going to talk a little bit about programming radios and uh, a couple other things. So y'all hang around and uh, enjoy this little piece of interview that we had left over. We'll be right back. So let's try and get some ham shack into this this episode of Linux in a ham shack. So, Bill, what uh, what kind of ham radio do you pursue anyway? Oh, I do a dabble in, in various things. I've got uh do some DX chasing, although since we moved to this house uh, almost three years ago, I no longer have a tower, so DX is a bit more challenging with just a couple of wire antennas. Uh, do some digital modes. I really like PSK31 a lot, and... Uh, in fact, that's what I tend to use my EEPC 701 for. Um, although I must say that recently I purchased one of those NUEPSK modems and used that for PSK. Um, that avoids having to drag a computer out if I'm doing this uh, out in the field somewhere. Um, RIDI is also fun. And uh, just a general rag chew every now and then is not unlike this. It's a great pleasure. So give us your uh, give us your shack specs so we can all ooh and ah at your equipment. Oh, okay, three. time for the brag file. Yeah, that's yep. it. <laughs> well, I've got an FT1000 Mark V sitting here, running into a Rig Blaster Pro. That's pretty much it for the HF gear. I do have a uh, FT817 that I use for QRP and mobile stuff on occasion. Our ham club has an annual QRP night. And uh, the object there is to see who can make the longest distance contact uh, with five watts or less. And uh, my second time out, I managed to win that uh, with a PSK contact. Uh, But I've always got competition from the CW guys who uh, tend to eke out a few more miles per watt than I can. Yeah, let me tell you about them CW guys. You know, they're, they're getting kind of hostile over Pactor right now. But other than that, they uh, they pretty much know the rules of the road. And, uh, yeah, you do have to get out of the way for them every once in a while, but what the heck. You know, uh, Just jealous I don't have the CW skills they do. It just takes time. You know, when I first got a license, there was a bunch of old railroad guys that would get down on 30 meters and run close to 50 words a minute without a computer. And they weren't sending international Morse code. They were using American Morse code. If for those of y'all that don't know the difference, go look it up because <laughs> it is way more difficult. One of the guys but, that was in the first club that I ever joined when I first got my ticket, he was an old, uh, he was an old, uh, ship telecom operator and he could practically read Riddy. <laughs> I've heard of fellows that could do that. Yes. <laughs> You know, I've always considered I've got a pretty good ear. I can dial in a digital signal without even looking at the waterfall or anything else on these things because I've been doing it so long. But these guys are doing that CW. They're something else, man. But let me tell you, I'm a, I'm one of those uh, incidental DXers myself. I'm, I'm All I've ever run is wire. And uh I really, the only experience I ever had with a commercial made antenna was a bad one. 
Now, don't get me wrong, above 30 megahertz, I, I do run commercially made verticals, but below 30 megahertz, it's wire, man. I mean, if it don't work right, rip it down, make another one. You out a $5 bill. <laughs> yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah. You know, probably Although I have to say that all of my VHF and UHF antennas are home built as well. Well, there you go. I mean, I just don't have the time. I, one of these days, I'm going to break down, go out in the backyard, and build that, that tell, uh, 10 element quad that I've been wanting for a uh, for two meter sideband, but it just hadn't happened yet. Just wait till you're out of the doghouse for the microphone. Well, if I don't buy it, then I won't be in the doghouse. <laughs> well, you still got to buy the parts and stuff. Plus, you got to put up a 10 element, you know, up on top of the roof. I don't know how, how that goes over. Well, considering we looked like Marconi's station for a while over here, because I had a dipole for uh, 75, no, yeah, 75, 40, 20, 15, no, 75, 40, 20, 10, and I was t- thinking about putting one up for six, uh, for 60 when I finally decided to just chuck it all and go with a G5 RV. <laughs> you know, I, I used to try to run a G5 RV, and that caused me nothing but grief. Over here, I've got a bigger lot, and I put up two 135-foot doublets at right angles to each other, approximately, and they're not terribly flat. They're more like inverted Vs, but they run rings around a G5 RV, in my experience. Well, well yeah, and it's it's all a matter of aesthetics. You know, I I don't work the radios near as much as I used to, so there wasn't reason for me to have all that wire in there, especially when it uh, well it didn't make her unhappy. But I could tell that she wasn't ecstatic about it. And uh, you know, <laughs> if it makes life a little easier on the other end, I'm I, I'm not proud. I lived in an apartment one time. I had a twenty meter dipole uh, tacked to the ceiling. One corner in the corner of the bedroom and in the far corner of the dining room was the other corner. A 10 meter, uh, 10 meter wire L on the, uh, wall closest to the outside of the building. I had a two meter, uh, two quarter wave, two meter antenna nailed to the wood rail out on the, uh, out on the, uh, balcony to work two meter on. And as long as I didn't, uh, tune up on 20 meters during prime time, because I got into a couple of the cable channels, there was never a problem. Of course, I did have his touch lamp that ended up losing his mind. <laughs> oh, yeah, those things are notorious for being RF sensitive. <laughs> well, at the time, my mother-in-law lived with us, and we had her set up in, in the uh, dining room, had her bed and stuff in there, and it just so happened the touch lamp was in the living room. So I'd come home from my job at 2.30 in the morning, uh, tune up on 20 meters, that thing would go to flickering and she'd start, she'd start screaming. <laughs> I, I had a G5 RV right now. It's laying in the backyard in a, in basically just a pile of wire because I'm putting up another one. I got a nice, uh, multi-band dipole to put up whenever I get my lazy butt outside to do it. Um, is that a fan dipole? No, I was I was actually uh, on the web trying to find the the guy the ham that I bought it from, <laughs> but I can't find it, and I'm not sure what it's called. But I got it off of eBay. Well, I found his site off of eBay, ordered it direct from him. Well, almost everybody makes G5 RVs nowadays. They're not hard to put together. Yeah, well, this isn't uh, a G5 RV. This is an actual this is an actual trap dipole. Uh, um, a trap oh, dipole. Oh, cool. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah. 
So I'm hopefully going to put that up. But I have to imagine the way I had my my original G5 RV strung, it started at the corner of my house, strapped to one of the gutters, you know, with a little bit of uh, with a little bit of lead line, so it wasn't actually grounded to the house. And another part uh, in the backyard, about 15 feet up a tree, and uh, it was running north south. And my my neighbors are east and west, which is a good thing too, because I think I probably had I think I was probably blowing out all their audio gear. <laughs> when I was down on 80 meters, but hopefully this dipole will actually work a little better. Yeah, they remind us in the chat room here. Let's see. Um, Looks like Tim's uh, made a Moxon out of uh, half-inch copper pipe. I've heard that works really well. Uh, very broad-banded, I would I would assume. Rodzilla reminds us of the video where uh, Letterman had the guys uh, Morse code versus texting. And, uh, that was Leno, a actually, I think, wasn't it? Was it Leno? Oh, it was one of them. <laughs> I don't keep up with that stuff. I normally I normally quit uh, quit watching the TV at nine thirty because I got so much other stuff I got to go do. However, back on the antennas, I've been uh, I've had my eye on that Barker Williams uh, uh, folded dipole that uh, that uh, they have over here at the uh, Red Cross building over here in off of, outside of downtown Mesquite. That thing is expensive as expensive can be for a wire antenna. However, it's supposed to be resonant on all the bands. Uh, everybody, everybody clap you, say hands and say hello. My daughter just showed up. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I bought the trap dipole is because it's supposed to be resonant on everything from 80 through 10, I believe. 80 through 10, not counting the warks. Cause, uh, the other, you know, G5 RV is supposed to be, you know, sort of resonant if you've got a tuner on everything, but unless you've got unless you've got a 160 meter G5 RV or 160 meter dipole, you're kind of uh, putting your antenna tuner out if you try and run down that low. But mine seemed to work all right. I just wish my uh, I got I got to get around to putting the stuff back up because next time I want to talk about using my EPC with Moblin and. Uh, Getting that working with some rig control, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, Russ is probably wanting to run run uh, mobile with that triple EPC. I'd just be happy to get one of these uh, one of these laptops happening hooked up to HF rig and uh, get some digital going on. However, I was out at uh, field day. Uh, did you uh, make it out to any of the field day sites, Bill? No, I was, as you uh, referred to it, maritime fixed, as I was bailing out my flooded basement that weekend. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I'm, I remember that. Um, Sorry, well, that's not funny, yeah. but maritime fixed is hilarious. So. I well, thought so, go. too. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, I, I guess it was something I said. <laughs> anyway, uh, I told this, I guess, over there when we were doing uh, Resident Frequency Live, but uh, I was at a uh, field day, and... I walked in the trailer over there because one of the local clubs over here was uh, operating out at Texas Baptist Men's Place and walked in the trailer and looked around and I seen a couple guys yakking at HF rigs and turned around and looked and there was a guy down at the very end of the trailer sitting on a, sitting on an orange crate. And when I got over there to him, lo and behold, he was running FL Digi. Unfortunately, he was running it on a Windows machine, but, you know, uh, work with what you got. And, uh, he was really tearing them up, except for the fact that Baptist men's antennas never work quite right. But, uh, that's okay because if their equipment did work right, then they wouldn't need the local ham club. 
However, they they were uh, logging over the network and everything else. I, it was really interesting. I wish I'd had more time to spend out there. But uh, oh yeah, I, I, I forgot. You told me you were you were bailing bailing and bucketing out to see him, uh, basement and that kind of stuff. I'm I'm really sorry to hear that. But yeah, me too. Because I just finished putting in a new floor down there. But uh, I think it survived. At least I hope mm. so. Okay. Well, you know, you were talking about doing digital earlier. Have you had an opportunity to take a look at uh, at uh, D-Star Low Speed Digital? No. Um, although our ham club has a D-Star repeater up on uh, 440 and 2 meters, I think. Certainly on 440. I'm not quite sure. I think also 2 meters. Um, I just haven't had the financial resources to invest in D-Star at this point. Uh, I've got a couple of analog uh, two meter and, uh, UHF rigs sitting here and that's, they still run. I've still got an old Izu FT212RH that I bought probably 25 years ago that still works. Uh, I'm in no hurry to move digital yet. Yeah, I had a 209RH. I loved it and I miss it. However, you know, uh, I heard on, uh, the, uh, the Practical Amateur Radio podcast, the last one I listened to said the DX store was selling D Star HDs for like 40 bucks, ICOMs. Uh, yeah, busting up remote. Yeah, you need to go over and listen to the info marshal. Now, I promised I wasn't going to say nothing about that. Oh, go I know ahead. they're go reconditioned, ahead. right? Yeah, yeah. Factory, what do they call them? Re, re box? Not, it's not reconditioned. They don't use that term. Uh, okay, but it's it, it is the same thing. It is reconditioned. So, re. Well, that's keep... certainly an opportunity, maybe, to get in without spending the big box. I'll have to take a look at that. I gotta keep my mouth shut. I like Gary. He's my friend. <laughs> oh, so I'm, so I wasn't supposed to talk about, uh, DX store? No, I started to say something bad. Oh. Are and you in a timeout? Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. What I was gonna say a while ago though is, you know, don't get too, uh, too worried about it just yet. You know, uh, people been screaming and raising cane about the fact that D Star is closed and everything else. I got to doing some research and everything I read is that the only thing that's closed is the vocoder chip. Everything else is wide open. You can, uh, get, get the information on it and everything except for that AMBE vocoder chip. And there's some guys out there working to build a box that you can plug into an analog radio and be able to run D Star through that analog radio. Well, one of the things I've considered is getting the D-Star dongle for the computer. That would be a less expensive way to get into it and just see what all the fuss is about. I'm just not sure I'm close enough to a D-Star repeater to actually make that work. Well, believe it or not, the dongle works over the Internet. Oh, yeah, of course it does. So you can talk to people all over the world. And the, In fact, in the chat room, KI6BGE, Tim, he has a, a, a D-Star, uh, one of the dongles. I had planned on getting one myself, but uh, I not been a year that's been conducive to me doing that so uh i will be attempting to do that at some point in the future but yeah if you can get your hands on the dongle i mean that'll get you into the system get you used used to working with it there's several reflectors out there that are going on uh in fact uh we stay the local repeater here stays hooked into the uh uh what is it reflector 4b which uh, is a bunch of repeaters here in Texas, so and uh, some in Louisiana and that kind of stuff. So we're able to talk to them guys and don't even have to jump through all the hoops it takes to uh, 
program all that mess in on the fly. Uh, Tim tells me that the uh, vocoder chip is going for about $55 now. So there are people out in the true ham, true ham radio, uh, tradition. There are guys out there trying to get around having to buy the thing. In fact, that's something I want all of y'all listening to the sound of our voice. Uh, we, Russ and I have been invited to, uh, put in an episode over at, uh, Hacker Public Radio because I mentioned a couple things we can, might be able to do some episodes on. One they were most particularly interested in was open source software and, uh, the amateur radio philosophy is the way I put it to them because you know what? Linux and amateur radio, perfect fit for me. Before we get too far off of the uh, D-Star thing, yeah, there's a lot of uh, D-Star groups out there that you can get on and, uh, you know, see what the guys are, are talking about and stuff. I know Yahoo's got one. Uh, I'm not sure, but I think uh, Gmail's got one. And at the very least, go check out the uh, message boards over at ICOM. Now I'm going to have to think up a subject where we can get Russ going again because well, he's sitting let me, nowhere uh... sticking his tongue out at me. <laughs> <laughs> now let me let me issue a correction because I'm looking at the DX store site right now and the the thing I thought was a D Star radio isn't they they do have some inexpensive handy talkies um, VHF and UHF in fact I saw one here yeah here's one uh, it's a dual band dual band handy talkies repackaged is what they're calling them uh, sixty five bucks with a ten dollar mail and rebate what I was talking about in the D Star is they have an ICOM ID800H, which is a D Star radio, and they have it at 189 with a $20 mail-in rebate, so it'd be 169 for a D Star radio. It doesn't seem too bad. It's uh, it's what they call grade D, which is like the worst grade of repackage, but it does come with a 90-day warranty. If I can read the output, if I can read the read what it says on the screen. I don't care what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good price for an ID eight hundred H. Um I guess I could look up and see see what a new one costs, right? What what was the price on it? I missed it. One well with a rebate it's one sixty nine. Uh ID eight hundred? Yeah. Holy cow. I paid, uh, yes, oh, I almost, almost six hundred new. Almost six hundred almost new. seven bills for my <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> So if you want to get an ID800H cheap, it's kind of a scratch and dent. Does come with a warranty. You can get one for 169. Looks like Tim's got a 2200H now. You know, entry level D Star radios that I see 2200H. I mean, it's the same price as any any other low end dual bander or a low end uh, two meter rig, and you can get into it and uh, uh, use it as a two meter rig. In fact, the one I got, I won in a in a raffle at a club meeting but uh you can get into them for less than two bills you've got a 65 watt two meter radio with a whole boatload of features and uh and memories and stuff and then later on when you've got the time you drop the cash for the uh the uh, d-star card pop the front off stick it bad boy in pop it back on it's no harder than installing a tone board for you guys that have been around long enough to remember having to install tone boards and it's up and it's running. In fact, I run one in my truck simply because I don't see any reason to have a dual banner in the truck. That's a good way to get into it. Now, does that ID800H come with the uh, D-Star card in it already or no? I believe it is, it is. D- it's I- listed as D-Star enabled. So. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, the uh, the, the, 800, the 
9800 is D-Star ready. The 28, I think it's 2820 is D-Star ready. The uh, ID 92A and the 91A, or IC 9192A, are both D-Star ready. But there are some, like this 2200H, uh, there's two handhelds. There's a single-banded uh, or a two-meter handheld and a single-banded 440 handheld that uh, you can purchase, which are they're low end, low end on the cost side. Um, the thing about the D-Class um, on the repackaged ICOMs over at DX Store, though, is it may or may not have a microphone, so you may have to add that to the cost. Oh, yeah, okay. All you have to do is add the card to those low-end ones also. But, you know, but entry level, let me tell you, unless you're really looking to use it while you're out mobile, uh, the dongle works as good as just about anything else, to my understanding, if you have a computer with the horsepower to drive it. Well, I wouldn't think you'd need a whole lot more than what it would take to run Skype, for example, right? Uh, no, I'm um, sure the bandwidth is uh, as low or lower than what Skype uses. Yeah, well, the bandwidth is not... Uh, not really the the big issue. However, it's my understanding that uh, to drive the dongle itself, you need at least one gigahertz machine, which is not a big issue. But you probably need a gig of memory in it also. And some people like me, we don't really run a lot of memory. In fact, I have had no memory at all. In fact, I forget that my name is Russ sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we have anything else to kick around? Anything? Anybody in the chat room want to bring something up? Before we kind of move on here? Yeah, I'm wondering if that uh, ID800H doesn't also need the UT118 installed. I bet that's another bit of it. Yeah, unfortunately, the website doesn't say. It just says it's an ID800H for 169 bucks. After that, you kind of have to. You're on your own. Yeah, you're on your own. I can, You know, I started using, I can't take it, say that. My first radio was on that band we don't talk about, but I was 16. The first <laughs> commercial radio I ever used uh, the way they were built, we used them more often to wrap people across the knuckles in other places uh, than we actually talked on them. So I like my radios big and bulky. In fact, until I finally broke down and bought this uh, little Vertex radio I've got over here now for my birthday a couple years back. the uh, It's your birthday. <laughs> well, you know, I had some leftover money. I bought a power supply and had some money left over. Anyway, until I bought that little bitty radio, I carried an HTX-202 with the biggest battery pack I could find, and I carried it in a uh, leather Motorola carrying case on my belt. Was that like a deep cycle lead acid or what? (laughs) I mean, it was was like almost a 12-volt battery. This thing was huge, man. It made this radio big and beefy. The first one I had was a Handy Talk, a Yezu, I think it was a 727R dual band Handy Talk about the size of a brick. Weighed about as much, too. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, I was talking about that 209RH a while ago. That was my first one. That's what got me started on, on big amateur radio or two-meter talkies because that 209RH, it wasn't small, and I had to have the big battery packs on it because I'd be outstanding to standing on a parking lot for 8, 10, 12 hours and need to keep that thing going so I could call for help if I needed it. Why don't you run 24 uh, volts like in parallel so you could get 10 watts out of your handy talkie? <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> have a hand warmer. Yeah, before you blew it up. 
All right. Well, I hate to bring this to a close, but we need to either move on or get some input from the chat room that we can talk about. I, and if we want to rag to afterwards, we can do that. But well, I think everybody's gone to sleep. You got people dropping like flies. We're going to turn everybody loose that's out there in the podcast listening audience, and uh, we're going to continue on with the chat room. If y'all want to be involved uh, in the uh, the uh, after show that does happen from time to time here at Linux in the Ham Shack, uh, y'all go ahead and go over and check out ustream.tv stroke Linux dash in dash the dash ham the dash shack zero. Or go over to the website at lhsinfo.org, which is a whole lot easier in my opinion. You can check for updates there. You can check for them over at Ustream. There's even an update from time to time over at Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast. This is me. This is you. This is everything we do. This is pain, this is pride, this is all the hurt inside. This is good, this is bad, this is everything we had. This is now, this is why, this is never just goodbye. Da 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 and on and on and on and on. This is well, this is way, this is all the things we say. This is hate, this is joy, this is what we will destroy. This is sway, this is tilt, this is innocence and guilt. This is to, this is fro, this is ever where we go. Da 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 and on and on and on and on. And this is city, this is crime. This is all the filth and grime And this is life And this is love This is all of the above This is hip, this is cool, this is living like a fool This is old, this is new, this is worn for being true This is do, this is try, this is never saying die This is best, this is free, this is everything to me And on and on and on and on This is plain, this is greed, this is taking more than need This is small, this is cute, this is killing at the root This is here, this is gone, this is earth that we live on This is time, this is shout, this is sand when it runs out A few weeks back in the chat room they were talking about programming radios under the Linux operating system And uh, I didn't actually get into the... uh conversation in the chat room uh, about programming radios and stuff but I, I was watching it go by while i was setting up the equipment and uh i thought to myself you know that's a pretty good topic for the show now i want y'all to know as we go along down through here that i haven't tried to program every radio i've got yet i'm still working with it some there's another program i want to take a look at but i'll tell y'all about that as we go along so uh, a couple days after that episode i pulled out my handy Vertex VX150 that I've had for some time. I love this little radio. It's uh, solidly built. 
You know, I keep talking about those HTX 202s that I carried forever that were built like a tank. Well, this uh, Vertex VX150 is also built the same way. It is so rugged, you could hammer nails with it. I have really enjoyed it, and it's been a good radio for me. So I decided that I would start with it. I have the program software and cables and that kind of stuff. Went ahead and plugged it up on the uh, uh, Linux box over here. And I uh, got everything plugged in, got out the software. I decided to use the software that came with it, the programming software, and run it under Wine. Now, we've talked about Wine before. For those of you who don't know, Wine is a program that you use to run Windows applications under Linux. Some Windows applications under Linux. And when I say some, I mean some. Some. So, I whooped it out. I run the program in. I clicked on it like I was supposed to. It went ahead and installed under Wine without a problem. Plugged it into the radio, went to fire it up, come up just fine. But when I went to try and copy the data off of the radio onto the computer, I started getting errors. This is kind of an older radio, kind of older software. And uh, after fooling with it for a little while, decided to uh, go ahead and... Uh, switch out to a different radio and see if that was a problem because I had fought the communications port or the serial port for some time trying to get it to work. I'm sure that what we were looking at was a baud rate mismatch between the radio and the computer. Not a problem with the software, not a problem with wine, not a problem with the cable or the radio, but a uh, speed difference between the radio and the computer. And given enough time messing with it, I probably could have hammered it out. However, I wanted to bring y'all some information. <laughs> so uh, I decided to move on to a different radio. Now, the different radio I moved on to would be the ICOM IC91AD. Yes, friends and neighbors, you got it. The IC91AD D-Star Ready handheld dual band radio. And it just so happens that I have the cable and the programming software for it. Now, where it's concerned... I know what the baud rate is on it, and I have run it before under Linux uh, using the D-Star Low Speed Digital. So I was a little in, in a little better shape to get it to go than I was with the Vertex. So I went ahead and uh, took the uh, installation CD and put it in the drive and fired it up went over to the CD, and clicked on the executable file. Now, the interesting thing about Wine is, is that if you have it installed and you click an executable file, it will go ahead and run that .exe file. If it's a zip file, you're going to have a little more trouble. But if it's an .exe file, it'll go ahead and run that executable and uncrunch and put stuff where it needs to be under Wine for it to work. It's just like installing it under Windows. So I went ahead and installed the software, and for any of you that are familiar with ICOM-type uh, programming software, it's just a big spreadsheet with some tabs on the side. It looks a whole lot like a file manager. So I went ahead and got it installed. I went ahead and plugged the cable up, plugged the cable into the radio, and the good thing is that that particular software immediately, immediately identified the uh, serial port as COM1. Now, I haven't tried it under USB yet. I didn't want to get into trouble, and once again, I wanted some information for y'all. So we're on COM1. We've got it plugged in. We've got the software installed. 
I finally changed the fonts so that they're big enough I can see them because from time to time, wine makes the fonts a little bitty. So we've got all this going, and I fired it up. The software came up just like it was supposed to, except it told me it couldn't find the radio. So here we are again, thinking we've got a mismatch or something. And I stopped a second and thought about it, went in and checked the configuration file, and I had not put it on COM1. So I put it on COM1, asked it to check the radio again, and lo and behold, it found everything in that radio. Now, for those of you who are used to programming Kenwoods and Yezus uh, via the computer, the 91AD is a little bit different. You are not necessarily reading the memory in the computer as much as you are actually manipulating the, the uh, radio. The uh, radio was well, pretty much the programming software on 91AD is more a rig control program than it is a programming tool. However, you can save the configuration into a file and all that other stuff. But not only can you program channels, you can all, there's also a chat facility in there for low-speed data and uh, other stuff like that. So, as far as programmability, the 91AD worked just fine. Now, I have not attempted to do it with my ID800 yet. However, the software should be very similar. Now... There are some other things I want to give a shot. I'm going to try. I'm going to try and get the uh, USB working and do it that way because I have run uh, digital programs for the uh, D-Star radios that way. I'm also going to look into programming my Yezu HF rig and my Vertex handheld with the programming software, and I will keep y'all posted on that. As far as that's concerned, that's pretty much what it took. Like I said, once I got it going... It ran like it's supposed to. And one more thing I'm going to check out for y'all is the uh, gentleman that writes D-Rats, KK7DS, I think it is, or something like that. He also writes a program called Chirp, which is supposed to be a cross-platform, cross-radio uh, programming tool. And I will be checking in into it further as time allows. And uh, Tim in the chat room says, My IC2200 HD star program works just like my 91AD. And uh, I have a 2200 out in the truck, and we'll be giving that one a shot also. So with that, uh, we've pretty much run our head as long as we could. I'm sure Russ is still over there with his mouth hanging open, wondering how I, how I can talk this long without taking a breath. Let's turn it over to him a minute and see what he's got to say. Take it away, Russ. Well, now, see, you're ruining it for me because I'm over here doing my best teller impression. <laughs> And I was doing it perfectly, too. I had a, a whole time you were talking. I was over here doing nothing at all. And grinning and just looking at the camera, even though it's not working. Well, I, I threw in a couple <laughs> of magic tricks. It's too bad no one can see them. Go ahead. Oh, I don't really have a whole lot to add as far as rig control, because the only thing I've ever done with it is set up my Kenwood Windows version of rig control on my Windows XP machine over there at the desk, and that was a long time ago. So one of these days I'm going to actually get over there and try some of these under Wine and see how they work. And I don't have any of those fancy D-Star handy talkies or that other radio you have there. You know, I've always had a handy talkie in my arsenal, always, because I've always used the repeater that was closest to my house, which was normally handy talkie distant. And uh, that's why I have these. Now, uh, as far as the other one, 
somebody wanted me to get on to E-Star, and I let them talk me into it. However, uh, KB3GTN in the chat room tells us that uh, he's had good luck on his uh, TS480 programming it under Linux, and uh, he wrote his own control software. Tim reminds me, KI6BGE reminds me that uh, the VX, uh, the uh, uh, IC800 and uh, the IC2200H also, or ID800, both use the same uh, programming cable. It's not the same software, but I bet it's pretty close. Now we've covered that. Uh, Russ is over there pursuing his teller impression. I didn't have the clock running, so I don't know how long I've been talking. Has anybody got any questions on uh, programming radios under Linux? Ustreamer33792 is asking, what distros are people using here? This question's come up before, but it's worth answering again, I guess. We have KE5SWU says he's using Linux Mint. Uh, KI6BGE is using Zubuntu. Uh, Paul says he's using Ubuntu and Kubuntu and Mint and Spearmint. Sounds like double mint gum. Bill says he's using Linux Mint and CentOS. KC8BEW says OpenSUSE 11. I'm sorry. Sorry, did I say that out loud? Yes. Yes? Okay. But that's okay. SUSE is not that bad. Russ uses OS ten. <laughs> Yeah, what do I use? I don't know. OS 10. Yeah, I do use OS 10. Windows 7, Windows Vista, Windows XP. Oh, and occasionally Linux. Uh, Mint. Mint, Ubuntu, Debian, sometimes CentOS. I've been playing with Arch Linux a little bit, and I want to try getting Slackware running on something here pretty soon. Primarily, I use Debian. And Richard primarily uses Debian as well. I use Windows Vista. Windows Vista. Vista. You heard me. Paul asks if Debian costs money, because Red Hat does. Yes, Red Hat does cost money. CentOS is a free version of Red Hat. Uh, Debian does not cost money. One thing we don't talk about Debian, as opposed to its derivatives, like Ubuntu and Mint, is that the derivatives tend to only work on i386 architectures, Intel cores and AMD cores, whereas Debian will run on just about anything. Just about anything. And correct, CentOS, white box version, Red Hat. Uh, in fact, it's just Red Hat rebranded is what it boils down to, and it's free, free, free. And as far as Debian, y'all... Uh, we talk about Ubuntu, Zubuntu, Mintbuntu, Left Nostril Buntu. We talk about the Buntus and the Mints and everything else because uh, we're trying to help folks that are making the transition. Uh, Debian is a distribution for grown-up Linux folks. Debian and Gentoo. That just uh, that'll get me some hate mail. I got hate mail from the last show over to the place. <laughs> well, we need some hate mail. I want some hate mail. Somebody send me some hate mail. Yeah, but you always make them send it to me. Oh, no, no, no. Send it to me. I'm asking for it. i got plenty of haters. I'll send you some hate mail. Take the gloves off. Hit me right under the jaw, right here. And if you're less than seven feet tall, that's the only way you're going to hit him. Because <laughs> <clears throat> he's a big guy. 
he's the biggest teller I ever saw. Yeah, I think physically we're both more like Penn. There you go. You know, uh, that's just about everything that uh, we have to talk about. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Bill, K9WKA, this evening. And uh, hope you got some uh, some usable input on the uh, programming radios under Linux. And um, I will be continuing on with that. I'm working on about four projects right now. That, Zastar, and a couple other things. So we can try and have some good information for y'all. We're going to go ahead and wrap up this time around and let Russ take us out with some of that wonderful music. So if you want to get a hold of me, you can contact me at kb5jbv at blacksparrowmedia.com. kb5jbv at blacksparrowmedia.com. Or follow me on Twitter or one of the 400 other networks I'm on. More specifically, Twitter, Identica, and FriendFeed. And even Facebook as kb5jbv. Just go on over to one of those and look me up and go ahead and hit the follow button. I follow everybody I can identify as an amateur radio operator that doesn't have their stuff blocked where I can't look at it. And make sure you visit forums over at blacksparrowmedia.com. Uh, we do have a set of forums over there. From time to time, they're a little on the slow side, but they are picking up. I think that's pretty much got it covered other than visit the website at lhsinfo.org for schedules of future shows and releases of current shows. So let me send it on over to Russ, and uh, he can give you his information. Take it away, Russ. All right. You can reach me, Russ, K5TUX, at K5TUX at BlackSparrowMedia.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Twitter.com, stroke Woodman. And you can find me on all of those other social networking sites using the moniker J.R. Woodman. Those would include things like Ping.fm, BrightKite, MySpace, Facebook. Basically, if you know a social networking site, I'm out there. Everything except my life. Can't stand my life. Don't really like Facebook either, but I'm there just because everybody else is. Peer pressure, you know. Anyway, thanks for tuning in this time. Leave a message for me in email. Leave a message for Richard. Go to the forums at blacksparrowmedia.com. Post your comments and questions there. Post your comments and questions to the Linux and the Hamshack website at blacksparrowmedia.com stroke LHS. And leave us audio commentary at 888-455-0305. That's toll-free, I believe, in Canada and the continental United States. Not sure about anywhere else, but you can also... Find us on Skype, leave a message there. And the number again, 888-455-0305. Make sure you get a chance to go down and check out Richard and Jerry, KD0BIK, from the Practical Amateur Radio Podcast down in Belton, Texas, on October 3rd, if you get a chance. I'll be at Ohio Linux Fest on September 25th, 6th, and 7th. And I already know a few people who are going to be out there. I'm going to have the audio gear, so I'd like to do interviews with as many people as possible, and there will be prizes involved. So get out to Ohio Linux Fest if you can. And we will be doing a wrap-up show afterwards from both of these events uh, in the podcast following. Just want to let everybody know that there will not be a live broadcast on October 13th, I believe, because... I'm not going to be available to do it that time. There will be a regular release, but no live. And check out lhsinfo.org for the schedule. So I think that's about it from here in the rainy pine forest up in north central Arkansas. This is Russ, K5TUX. 
you. That's the longest he's ever talked in one stretch. In y'all don't forget to go over to one of the websites and leave a comment saying hello to our newest member of the Black Sparrow Media family, uh, Bill KA9WKA. And with that, this is Richard in the Bunker in Balt Springs, Texas, and we'll see y'all next time.